going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Jonathan Ullman over Zoom video. Jonathan is an internationally recognized session drummer and percussionist, and he's also won the Sessions Musician of the Year six times. So very in-demand studio drummer and touring drummer. But Jonathan talks about how he got into music, started playing drums at a very early age. He comes from a creative household. His dad and mom are both artists as well as his brother. So when he found an interest in drums, his parents really helped encourage him to want to continue to play drums. He talked about this makeshift drum set he had when he first started out. He talked about playing drums to his brother's old hip hop cassettes. And that's how he really learned how to keep time and learned how to hear what the drums were doing. He talked about bands he played in, how he really got involved in being a studio musician and touring drummer. And he talked about his opportunity he had to play on Late Night with Seth Meyers. And Jonathan also teaches at Berkeley College of Music. So he talks about that as well. He's from Boston originally. You can watch our interview with Jonathan on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Jonathan Ullman. Oh, all good, man. I appreciate you doing this today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, My name's Adam, and this is about you and uh, your journey in music. (laughs) It's been a long one. (laughs) I love it. I love your skateboard deck over there. Thank you. Yeah, that was a collaboration that they did with like Primitive, Zildjian did with Primitive, and they sent me one, and I was like on the fence about whether to, put trucks on it and all that stuff <laughs> skate it or just keep yeah. it <laughs> I, would, I would keep it exactly how you have it yeah um that's well, amazing you, you're in nashville yeah i'm in nashville i was just there i think last week or the week week before i think it was actually the week before um and i think we tried to line something up but yeah it got a little hectic i mean it was that last week of uh school for my kids and then yeah. oh yeah oh you finished that early yeah, they they finish early here for some reason. I mean, my, daughter, my daughter's got till June twentieth. Oh wow! Yeah, we um, I, I I'm originally from San Diego. My family and I moved from San Diego, and that's how it usually was. I mean, you'd go through June and then start uh like Labor Day ish, a little after Labor Day, and here it's like they're done in May. That's awesome. <laughs> so, I'm not gonna tell her. She's like counting the days right now. Oh okay, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they finish it pretty early here, um, but then they go back in August. So um, I'm not sure why they do it that way, but whatever. Florida does it the same way too. She has friends there, but yeah. Awesome. Well, um, again, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, so first off, you were what born and raised in Boston area, correct? Never, never left. Just kind of stuck it out here. Oh, are you still there now? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, are you like, like what part and, uh, tell me about your kind of your upbringing. So I grew up in a town called West Roxbury, which is, so Boston is made up of 
a bunch of different towns, Roxbury, Rosendale, Jamaica Plain, High Park. There's a bunch of different towns that make up the city of Boston. Okay. Um, and so West Roxbury is just kind of like it's suburb, but it's still, you know, I mean, it's like less than six miles to get into actual city, but it's, it is kind of like getting out of, you know, Boston proper. Um, sure. So I grew up in West Roxbury, actually in West Roxbury now. So, you know, started in West Roxbury, kind of moved to different parts of Boston and then, and then ended up back in West Roxbury. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Uh, is there a big, um, obviously Boston's a big music city, but um, like where you grew up were kids starting bands and, um, were you able to play with neighbors and, and that sort of thing? So, so Boston is, is interesting, you know, cause it's funny cause I had this conversation while I was in Nashville and Nashville is a very, you know, obviously a very robust music scene. Um, and there's a lot of individual players trying to do something, you know, in their career, whereas Boston sure. is very band, you know, situated. So being a session musician here is is tricky because it's like having that conversation with people here and it's gotten a lot better, but it would be like, I'd be like, I'm available for your, your band to, you know, play a show or do a session and here's my rate and I can have that stuff done for you and ready to go. And they're like, how would I pay you? I just put something on Craigslist and start a band and have like an official member. And it's like, no, that's one way to, go about it, but also I could learn your stuff in, you know, a day and then be ready to play and that it'll cost you this kind of money. So um, that conversation was always tricky because it's not a session town. Sure. Se um, but it's a great band town. And I grew up playing in bands since I was, you know, 17 or 18 years old. And so my idea was to play in as many bands as, as possible. But um it's one of those markets that's really, really like the the local music scene here is like essential to bringing such visibility to, you know, the city. And now it's become this market that, you know, international national touring bands, they can't miss this market because right. it's getting it's getting um extremely uh, uh you know vital for them to be here because there's there's so many college students here i mean within like a four mile radius there's four hundred thousand college students Jeez. and you old berkeley's there too and that's yes, where i work oh wow okay yeah. that's amazing so we'll get into that as well yeah, yeah so it's interesting well i'm gonna ask you that question later because oh. <laughs> it i want to go linear here so like so how do you start in music? Like, um, do you come from an artistic musical household at all? So I come from an artistic household. My dad is a sculptor and an artist. Oh, wow. My mom was a photographer and worked at the, in the art department at Northeastern. And my brother is a sculptor and a, and a metal fabricator. So wow. we all sort of chose, you know, a different medium. Um, and that was huge for me because it allowed me to sort of understand the value of art, um, the value of having this outlet, uh, creative outlet. Um, and I just picked music. And the cool thing about my family is they're all very supportive, even if they don't know too much about, you know, the music that I play, they take the time to you know, I don't think my, I mean, up until like a, the pandemic, I don't think my mom ever missed a show, you know, she, and I was, wow. probably, you know, I could be upwards of, you know, a hundred shows a, a year kind of thing. So, um, 
it, it, it was very important for me. And the cool thing that my dad also said was, you know, don't, he didn't say don't, but he was, he was heavy on the, like, this should be something that's always, you know, important and, and enjoyable in your life. So don't make it a, not, not don't make it a career, but don't rely on it to make money because it's going to be inconsistent. There's mm-hmm. going to be times where it, it does very well. And there's going to be times where it's going to be slow. So always have it, but always have a sort of something else going on, you know, over here that you can rely on financially. And so I think that mindset, even though my music career took off and got to a point where I could make it a full-time job, mm-hmm. um, I still always have these, you know, these stable foundation jobs and working at Berkeley is certainly kind of blends the two things together. Um, but I think that's why I've enjoyed it for so long is that it was never, I never had that pressure, that financial pressure to be like, I have to play, I have to take as many gigs as I possibly can in order to play, pay rent. And now I can take gigs that may not have money to start with, but I believe in them or I think it's a really cool opportunity and I can take it without being like, Hey, you know, we'll figure something out down the road kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So having that flexibility has been really important. Yeah, that's awesome because a lot of people, I mean, even in my own household, like it was get a job, go to college, you know, do, you know, get a job at a company that you can hopefully die at and, you know, get the 401k and all the other things that would go along with it. And um, to have such a supportive family and especially an artistic family where, you know, your mom and dad are both in the arts, they understand the you know not only the importance of it but how this is a lucrative career and yeah sure you should have something else to fall back on not really fall back on in your case it's like yeah i teach at berkeley which is a music school and i'm still doing exactly what i you know want to do and love to and also you know as as you get older you realize the the value of having those uh sort of benefits that, you know, I have a daughter, so obviously that needs to be priorities that she's, you know, fully taken care of and, sure. you know, paying out of pocket for medical is sometimes not, you know, the, the most yeah. easily, uh, accessible thing to do. Um, and, and the other thing that that's kind of cool is um, uh, the, the music thing for me has always been more of like, a benefit for me, you know, sort of from a, from a, a emotional and mental standpoint, it's always something that I would do regardless if it was, you know, bringing in, you know, a certain amount of money. And I think by looking at it that way, it, it just is this piece of my life. That's, that's, that's really uh, essential to my growth, to the opportunities, to being able to travel, to be able to meet and connect with people and do something creative um, and then there's this financial piece that's sort of like, oh, well, this is another benefit to it kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, that was a big, my, my dad instilled that into me because he's been doing sculptures for 70 years now. And wow. still, you know, when he retired, it was like, well, now I get to do this, you know, full time. And, I, you know, I don't know if anybody's even like, he doesn't, he doesn't care if anybody sees his art. It's just a part of his you know, life enjoyment kind of thing. And I think having that as a mentality sort of allowed me to the longevity of this career is, you know, endless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're doing what you love to do. Um, with that, like, how do you get into playing drums? Like, was that the first instrument you learned or like, where did you gravitate towards that early on? 
So I, I started with piano and there was some, I, it was a long time ago. I started with piano. I think the piano teacher actually said to my parents, like, this doesn't feel like a good fit, you know, for him, <laughs> you know, I don't know if couldn't sit still or, you know, something like that. So he recommended something more body, you know, movement, you know, uh, Still athletic, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, something to get his his you know inability to sit still out. Um, so my parents had like a snare drum, or they had a snare drum, or a neighbor had a snare drum, or something like that, and a cymbal, no stand or anything. And so my brother, it was really funny. This is how my my family would think. My dad's like, oh, well, here's a dowel, like a wooden dowel, mm-hmm. and your brother's gonna sit here next to you and he's going to hold the dowel and we're going to put this snare on some stand that he, that he built. And he made me two drumsticks out of, out of uh, other dowels that he had. Um, and I would just sit there and I would play the symbolness in the snare. And I, you know, it was an immediate connection. Um, later in life, I sort of figured out that, you know, the psychological you know, reasoning, but why I enjoyed it was because I like things that are repetitive. I like things that are very cyclical um, patterns. You know, they all, they're all very calming mm-hmm. you know, for me. And that's kind of what drums are. It's like my right hand is doing this thing. My left hand is doing this thing. My foot is doing this thing. And they all sort of work together in some sort of symmetry. And that to me is very calming. So um, it was like the perfect instrument, you know, and I yeah. think, you know, and I think it has to do with patterns. I think, you know, things that, that repeat were really, really cool to me. And I think when I was playing, when I see the piano or do, you know, see the guitar, you know, even if I hop on a piano in, in a studio or if I'm waiting for something and there's a piano, obviously I like at Berkeley, I'll sit down and I'll play things that are <laughs> repetitive. They're probably boring to other people, but for me, hearing those things sort of, you know, work in some symmetrical pattern, it's very, is very, um, it's hit some part of my brain that that's really appealing. Yeah. Did you ever get into like, um, you know, beat production as far as like on a computer or you just did it all by just cause I'm just thinking like patterns and repetitive being able to drop loops and kind of do, do that. Well, I, I do that now. I work with, a oh, you do? who's a beat maker and, um, we do this, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and, of course, with, you know, everything can be done on the computer now. So this is now a big integral part of my, you know, playing as a, as a drummer is to create these things in the box. But um, uh, the, the funny thing is I actually learned to play drums um, it, by using my brother's, I used to take my brother's hip hop cassettes, which from the late eighties, early nineties, that, cause that's about the time that I was learning to play. And the reason that was such a big deal for me is hip hop beats were they, the, the beats never, never changed. They were, they were sort of the foundation of the song for the, for the MCs to, to, to rhyme or, or right, to, right. Yeah. Raps over. And what I tell people when I do do teaching is it was a great way to learn to play drums because what happens is you start off the song, you're, you're trying to lock in with the, the beat, you're trying to get that beat going and you have, you know, three minutes to kind of get to the end of the song and you know that it's not going to change. So, you know, like, I just got to keep working on this throughout the song. Uh, and by the end, now you're playing along with the song. And what I found is that when, when somebody's taking an instrument, the thing that would get them frustrated and not want to do it is 
not being able to play along with something. So if you have a song that has one verse that goes some way, then there's something else that happens on the chorus. Then there's a bridge section, and then there's this other chorus, and then there's a, you don't have, your brain doesn't have to have time to process those many changes when you're just getting started. And for me, hip hop was perfect because it allowed. I knew this is the beat. I'm going to learn this beat, and it doesn't change. And I'm going to play this song and I'm going to and I'm going to feel good at the end of this. Like, wow, I'm playing the drums along with, you know, this artist kind of thing. And so hip hop was the great greatest way for me to learn how to how to get limb independence, how to, um, you know, feel confident at the end of the song. Um, and, uh, you know, years later, I realized I make a lot of hip hop records as a as a session musician now. And having that pocket, you know, having that that ability to groove along with a song and have really strong um, sense of like beats and groove has been great as a session musician, because as a, as a studio musician, those that flam the, the flamboyant, you know, um, overplaying drum fills and all that stuff isn't, isn't necessary when you're making records and a lot of producers don't want to deal with that. So yeah. um, it actually works out great because I, I'm, I'm, a very minimalist drummer and, and end up playing on a lot of records. And I think that has to do with the fact that I played, you know, learned to play with these hip hop records. Interesting. Yeah. Cause even hip hop drums, they kind of translate into a lot of different styles of music still. Right. I mean, aren't there, you know, yeah. 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 A lot of uh, music use utilizes those hip hop, like style of drum beats. Yeah. And this is the 50th year of the, the birth of hip hop this, this year. So that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, I've, my son is just turned seven. We got my him. A, oh, wow. Wow. Cool. So he got a drum set right when COVID started, we got him, but he got him electric kit. So he didn't drive the neighbors up, yeah. the, up the wall, <laughs> but a buddy of mine's a drummer. For, he, he's, not really. I mean, he plays in a bunch of different bands. Like he's like kind of not like a studio guy, but he's like a touring guy. Yeah. Uh, so he was showing me, we got him some electric kick, but it has like a real kick. Like that has the, and not just like a trigger kick. Yeah. Um. So he's been learning. I'm just curious for my own selfish reasons, uh, questions uh, with, with the hip hop songs, like what, when, what were you learning to like, what's, what were the artists early on that or songs early on that you we're playing because I feel like he's in that position now where he knows like six or seven beats, but it's like, he plays it for a little bit and then he's just like, is done with it, but he's not playing along to anything. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the bands that I grew up, the eight, the late eighties, nineties are uh, hip hop groups were like, you know, brand new being, uh, uh, like Grand Pooba, uh, EPMD, oh, Black sure. D, uh, Gangstar, you know, the, that was who was, you know, out at the time that I was playing. So, you know, he's seven. So I'm sure the lyrics, you know, may, may or may not be, you know, the greatest, you know. Yeah, well, I'll find a clean version of some Gangstar because those that, I loved those records growing up and EPMD, to be honest. <laughs> so, so a lot of that stuff, um, a lot of those beats, which have been sampled, you know, a million times, you know, you have yeah. like, you know, De La Soul, you know, it. Uh, Tribe Called Quest, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could listen. I mean, some of the beats were complicated, but for the most part, you could almost get through them with kick and snare. You know, you don't even have to incorporate the hi-hat, you know, just yet. So, um, 
I would say just listen. You find it, find a, find a, like a, a like a really great old Tribe Called Quest song, and you know just play it for for him and listen. I mean the the patterns are they're very like um, distinct, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They're, they're like the ones that you you remember for like your entire like childhood and into your like formative years. And you can kind of, the cool thing about it is even if you're not hitting it, you know, if you're trying to play like enter, enter Sandman or something, you know, when you're first getting started and you're, and you're not playing it right, it may not sound, you know, good, but like yeah. for hip hop stuff, just let that record play, could hit the, the kick a few times. You could kind of just come in with the snare. You could just do hi-hat because a lot of those samples are just that. They're like broken down kits where it's like the kick, the snare, and the hi-hat. And most, a lot of the records I do now are just kick, snare, hi-hat. So, um, you know, I mean, you look at what Nate Smith can do with just those pieces. It's like, it's, it's mind blowing. The creativity that you can have when you, when you've broken down everything into a min- minimalist sort of format. Um, I think Steve Gadd said it was my favorite line was um, Bills get the thrills, but grooves pay the bills, you know? And, oh yeah. <laughs> it. But yeah, listen, yeah. I mean, go down a rabbit hole, listen to old eighties and nineties hip hop even Sugar Hill game. I mean, those beats were, it wasn't about the beat, even though the beat became such a, like a synonymous with those, with those records, but yeah. it was more about the lyrics. It was more about what the artist was saying. And it was just this thing that kind of, you know, laid underneath to kind of drive the song along. And that was really great for me to play to those because, you know, they're head boppers, you know? Right. Yeah. I love that. You said uh, just that you could keep playing along because they are repetitive. I mean, the, the one beat will go three minutes or at least yeah. the drum, the drums will go through. So then I mean, you can just jump in at any time. Like, okay, I screwed up here. Okay. We'll start again. Well, and, <laughs> you know, being the dad of a seven year old, I mean, the attention span is, is very small. So <laughs> yeah. when you're trying to like learn an instrument, if you, don't feel like you're good at it, you know, which is, you know, like what my daughter you know, says to me, she's like, I'm not good at this. And then it's like, they're it's done with it. let's try again. Let's try again. Yeah. Um, for me, it was like, okay, I got three minutes to get through this. And it's not like I'm listening to something that is like, Oh, this is miserable. Like I, I love the music. So it was like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to mess up. And then by the end you get this like e- Eureka moment where you're just like, holy crap, I'm playing along to this song. You got your headphones on, so I'm sure the people who aren't listening to the music along with you are probably like, what in the world is right?" <laughs> but to you, you're in this like little world, and that's what I would do. And that's what that's... has such a, uh undeniable like love for hip-hop because that's what kind of got me to actually enjoy this instrument. That's awesome. And so once you learn, you said you were about 10 or so when you were playing? I was about... I was about, well, I started probably eight or nine, but around 10 years old was when I was like, I'm going to play drums for my, the rest of my life. This is what okay. I want to do. And did you join like the, were you, did you play percussion in like the school orchestra or band or anything like jazz band maybe in school? No jazz band. I, I definitely was in like the, the high school, middle school, like band program, but I, I had a terrible time with like structured music um, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing. I got my master's in photography. Um, I went to school for like photography and got my master's in photography. And 
it took me a long time to enjoy taking photos after going to oh, sure. do it because it was just like, I just want to take pictures. I don't want assignments or I don't want to do it this way. I just like taking photos. So then it took me a while to come back and be like, oh, I do really enjoy um, playing music. I, I mean, I really do enjoy taking photos. Um, and the same thing with music. It was like it needed to be something that I kind of did on my own sort mm. of enjoyment. Um, but I, I did do it in school just because it was like, you know, that's what that's what I did. But yeah, there's a class you could just play drums at. <laughs> yeah, and then I would go home and play, you know, the stuff that I wanted to play. Right, right. So did you play in bands and and all that when you were in middle school, high school? Middle school. You know, the the funny thing was is sports were as equal a a big part of my my life too. So, you know, I wanted to be a professional soccer player as well. Okay. You know, so soccer did take a lot of time. I, I ended up playing soccer in Europe for a little bit. Oh, and, wow. Um, I think it wasn't until probably end of high school, 11th, 12th grade, that I was like, all right, I got to make a choice here. It's going to be music. And then I would start, you know, playing in bands around, you know, 16, 17, 18, um, garage type stuff. And then throughout college, I kind of did it, you know, off to the side a little bit, you know, I didn't, not a lot of, it's funny, a lot of kids in college that I'm still friends with were like, bro, I didn't know you even played like music. Cause it was this kind of thing that I, that I would do on my own, you know, where like, I didn't invite people to my shows. I didn't do anything. It was just this thing that I, I really liked doing. And then towards the end of college, it was like, all right, I'm going to try to make a, like a, like a go at this. And once I graduated, it was like full on, I'm going to be in 15 bands at the same time. Okay. So that, that's where it started. You just started playing in a bunch of bands and was it in hopes that, okay, one of these was, was, was your goal to be a session musician or was it like, I'm going to be in a band and we're going to tour the world. And, or, I mean, obviously you've done those things, but I mean, uh, in the sense of, you were saying earlier how uh, people ask you to be like a member of the band and you're like, well, no, here's my rate and I'm going to all play some shows and I can learn your songs real quick or I can go to the studio and do that. But you, well, you probably had to start outside of, of that world. So, so from, I, I didn't sort just because I was here, I didn't under, sort of fully understand like, Oh, you can go off on your own and make a make a living and make a career just being this single entity this piece to the puzzle kind of thing mm -hmm. so it, exactly what you said which was i i'm going to join as many bands as i can and one of them is going to to take off and then i'm going to have my dream of touring the world and playing in you know all you know in front of all these people and selling millions of records mm -hmm. well that didn't happen and that was like from, you know, 18 to, to 30 of playing, you know, in every band that existed in Boston. And to, to be honest with you, I probably have either played, recorded, sat in, or did some sort of collaboration with a good majority of the bands that, that come out of the city. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't until about I was around 30 where I was like, you know what, I'm going to make a run at kind of just telling people that I'm, 
I'm on my own kind of thing. And by that point, just because of the the size of the city and the music scene is a very like intimate, even though it's big, it's very intimate sort of thing. Everybody sort of knows everybody um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. At that point, everybody already sort of did know who I was. And for the most part, everyone was like, wow, this guy plays with literally everybody in the city of Boston. Um, so it wasn't such a difficult transition to go, hey, I'm just going to, I'm not going to be an official member of anybody's band anymore. I'm just going to be available for whoever needs me. And then I'm going to keep kind of harping on the fact that like I'm available for, you know, anybody's project. But I was kind of already doing that just for the fact that I was always around and people like, Hey, Jonathan from so-and-so's band, can you play on my record or can you sit in with me kind of thing, which is what this city does is a lot of people who kind of bounce around just because of, they know somebody in this band needs something, but they don't necessarily call themselves session musicians. They just mm-hmm. like, oh, I play music kind of thing. So, and it always stayed within this like local, you know, level. I mean, the bands are successful, but they're successful on a local level. Right. Um, and so for me, it was like, well, if I'm going to be, you know, taken seriously on a, on a national international session level, I got to, reach outside of the city. So, you know, I was already playing with people from New York, you know, I was already playing with people who had international sort of recognition. So it was easy for me to kind of plug and play. I was getting flown out to LA to do sessions for somebody who was big enough to be flown out to LA, you know, play there. I was going down to Nashville to play with some, you know, one-offs down there kind of thing. So that gradually gave my name more sort of a national, you know, recognition. Um, And then the touring with the bigger bands allowed me to go to Europe and, you know, go overseas or go, um, you know, all across this country, go to Canada and do all that stuff too. So it just kind of built, but a lot of it built after I had sort of taken myself out of the band sort of equation. Um, And then I'm an official member of one one band now, and that band's called Still Gold. It's a hip hop group from Boston. Um, and that producer, who's the producer for that band, the guitar player in that band, he's the one that I collaborate on a lot of my music with. So, so we have a like sort of a collaboration team in which I bring him artists, he brings me artists, and we do um a lot of records together. So of my my session studio work comes from the fact that he's working with a ton of artists, I'm working with a ton of artists, and we kind of, you know, write songs for these artists uh, between me and him. Oh, wow. Okay. And like, what was kind of the first, or was there a moment, or was it more of a gradual thing, like that did something happen, or like, did you get to play with an artist or something that you're like, whoa, like, okay, this is kind of the next level like I was able to kind of jump up from being more of the a localized guy that's kind of being in all these bands to now mine I'm getting my name's getting recognition and I'm doing like was there a stepping stone there or was it just a, the amount of people you were playing with at the yeah, time and I think I think the the greatest thing about this industry that we work in is word of mouth just gets passed on if you play with an artist you know in Boston chances are they know an artist that is from another city who can, you know, who needs, you know, potentially drum work or something like that. But also there are obviously like local level bands from Boston, but there are also a ton of 
uh, bands and artists here who are on an international level who just mm-hmm. kind of stuck it out. I mean, I was playing with this this one woman. She was sort of a sort of a a, a rock luminary from the seventies and eighties. Um, her name was Talia Zedek, and so she would take us over to Europe. You know, a bunch because she was actually bigger in in Europe. Um, I played with this woman in New York, whose name is Holly Miranda and Holly Miranda has a huge international following. And so I, we would do her record in, in New York, I mean, in LA. So um, it's like, you don't have to go so far just to find an artist who, who has, you know, jumped, you know, from the local to more of a national and international level. And by that time, you know, I was already playing with these with these people. And then, you know, with with the advancement of of online music, a lot of people are now successful all over the place because their music is now all over the place. So um, it's tricky because it's like, of course, when you think of huge artists and you think of people that everybody knows, are you thinking L.A.? You're thinking, you know, um, Nashville, you're thinking New York to an extent. Um, But a lot of those records are not, there's not a lot of humans working on those records, like physically working on those records as a producer and songwriter, and they're doing it from a small production suite. Um, And then eventually when they're ready to tour, they put together, you know, a band, you know, for some sort of arrangement, you know, opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that, that group is very small. You know, those, those megastars are using a very small number of, of players. And, um, you know, once you, it's not easy to get, you know, sort of into those inner circles. And it's not, it's not that I'm, I'm like envious of that because what ends up happening is I have friends who play with big, pop stars and, and, and they're, that's awesome, but that's all they end up having time for. You know, mm-hmm. they can only do this one thing for two, three, four months at a time. And then they come back and they have to scramble to get other work. Whereas for me, I kind of figured out this thing where it's like, I can be in the studio five days a week and I can go play shows at night. So, you know, and I get to work with hundreds of artists, you know, at any given point and they're working with one and they're not even doing the creative, not, not that they're not doing the creative part of it. They're doing this one aspect of it. They don't get to be a part of maybe the, the studio stuff because that's a whole nother group of players that are doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. So they get this one side of it. Whereas what I'm doing is I get to work on the record. And then from there, I get to work with the artists and do some touring with the artists kind of thing. So I feel like my mentality isn't necessarily um, I want to play with the biggest artists in the world, which I do, I kind of like the fact that I do something different every single day and it involves me getting to play the drums. And yeah, of course I would like to put huge name artists on my resume, but I think, you know, it comes, it kind of goes, you know, in a progression, you know, my name every year gets passed along to more and more people. I know all the people that are in those inner circles at the top. And if an opportunity arises, they know, Oh, let's, let's do that. Jonathan's, you know, worth worthy of, of those opportunities. But if that's like all you are hoping for, you're kind of missing, you know, the, the process, you're kind of missing all of these opportunities down here that are just as exciting and just as 
as, uh, you know, formative for me to be able to work with an artist that nobody knows yet and to be like, wow, you worked on that record that became huge. We know right. who this person was, you know, to begin with. That's exciting to me. Um, so I yeah, a hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with that. I, I was on the radio for a long time before I, this podcast kind of took it uh, uh, over full time. And it was cool to be a part of that, like finding a band or being able to be the first person to play a band. And then they, which was the case a lot of times, but then it, it only a very small fraction of them get to like having multiple hits. And it's like so cool to kind of be a part of the, the smaller, the journey. And then it gets big and you're like, Oh wow. Like this person is now at this level or whatever. I mean, think about how many, you know, I work with an artist and it's me, the producer and the artist, and we're writing a full record and it's three people. That's who the creative, you know, outlet, you know, the team that sort of that, that, that small group. And then, you know, you work on a record that's the, you know, at the next level and it's like, well, I don't have a say in any, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. this has to be run by, you know, run through 12 different people before it gets approval. Not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's different. Mm -hmm. um, and I like all aspects of it. I love to play in front of, you know, 10,000 people one night and actually play in front of seven people the next night because it's, it's, it's different. It keeps it exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's, what makes a really robust music career. When I look back on my, on my career, I'm going to go, I did so many different things and I loved all of it. Some of it was really difficult. Some of it was uncomfortable. Some of it was amazing. And that's kind of like what my dad said to me is like, he's, you know, it's so funny to see when in their art studio, the first piece that they, he ever made versus the most recent piece they ever made and what that, journey was like going getting to that point same same thing with me i listened to the first record i ever recorded and then the most recent one be like man my progression has been consistent but like i i watched myself grow as an artist yeah yeah it was, it was interesting how you, what you said about just being a touring musician because then yeah if you're a touring musician for a big artist right how often are they actually touring and then you're not on the record and the record or the or the you're not yeah, you're not physically on the recorded piece of music. You're just having to play what was already done. Like, okay, you're going to play. These are how these 15 songs go and, and just play them as we, we've laid it down. And like, oh, yeah. okay. And then you're just doing your thing. You're almost, yeah, it's more of like but a mechanical cool. piece, I mean, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the grass is always going to be greener. Like I, I have a friend who's plays for a music director for a major pop star. And he looks at me and he goes, I would, I want everything that you're doing. And I'm like, <laughs> how many times have you met like the last like five presidents because you played at the white house so many times. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. but we have that conversation. And I think that really helps you get in the mindset. Like, wow, this thing that I want, in, I, I want it. I'm going to go after it. And then he's like, I had that. But I want what you're doing because this looks you're part of a creative process that I'm not mm. part of, you know? Right. And so, and that's what I think. I think you need a balance of everything. I think when you talk about a legacy of your music career, he can say, yes, I've played in front of tens of millions in millions of people in places and venues that like people dream about. And he's like, but I, I, you know, I've played on maybe four, four records in my career that aren't that person's records. They're like right. some other people that asked me to do it. Whereas I played on thousands of records 
but I haven't played at the White House and I haven't played at, you know, you know, the Super Bowl or something like that. So in my mind, and this has always been something interesting when somebody asked me, what would you, this is the main question, would you rather be a touring musician or you rather be a, you know, a studio rat? Yeah. And I'm always like, well, I want both. And I, you know, I want both, but I'm always going to lean towards studio. And the reason is my family, my dad, my brother, uh, and my mom, they have, they all have physical representations of their work. My mom can hang her, her painting on the wall. My brother's sculptures are all there for you to see. He can look back as a, at a physical representation of how his career was through the years that he did it. For me, that's, records those are albums that i've that i've played on that's my legacy the all the albums that i played on a lot of people who are just touring musicians they're like yeah they're all their memories you know they're like they're like yeah i played here and i played here and i played in front of this amount of people and it was great but that kind of existed and then it didn't exist Mm -hmm. anymore you know you did it you were present for it and then you moved on to something else so I always feel like if I want to look back and, and look at my career, I want to, I want recordings. I want like albums. I want vinyl of stuff that I've played on because then it's like, okay, this is, this is my career as a physical manifestation. And then I want the experience of being like, yeah, I love looking out at a sea of people, you know, and playing, you know, this great night. I'll always remember that night. But unless you know, unless somebody took a picture of it, you know, right, right, it was, just, it was a it was a personal memory kind of thing. Instead of like, yeah, here's the actual, it's a literal like stamp of that time of your life. Exactly. Like, okay, yeah. I can go back, and this was in 2005, and I can remember. Play, here's the record that I played on. Yeah, wow, that's cool. Is it hard to juggle? I mean, that many songs and that many artists and probably that many genres and styles of music. Like if somebody that you've played with maybe three or four years ago goes, Hey, Hey, like I, I want you to come back and do this. Is it all just like, you could just re-listen to it and go, oh, okay, this is what I did. Or this is the style. Or do you, I mean, I guess my question is, is like having to know that many songs and having that many people to play with, does that get like, confusing or you know is it hard to kind of remember like oh yeah i did this on this or this on this yeah there are times there are times i mean there are times where certainly have to go back through old notebooks and or you know i certainly do my due diligence and practice on my own to relearn stuff um but there are certainly times where like i couldn't tell you you know i go back and listen to a record be like i played on that you know kind of thing (laughs) yeah um But again, it's like if I'm playing stuff that I played on or I'm playing with artists, generally when I listen to it, I'm going to know right away if if I'm going to be able to do it. You know, there's certainly times where somebody's giving me music and I'm like, I'm not the right drummer, you know, Mm -hmm. for that stuff. And it's going to take me way too long to learn this by the time that you need it. Um, you have to be honest with that. You, you, they're hiring. You want to put forth the best, you know, your best, best stuff for them. Um, also, my drum parts, for the most part, if I ever worked on a record, aren't super complicated, you know, anything like that. So if I re-listen to a record, it's more about remembering where these transitions happen and how the structure of the song goes. But back when I was when I was in my 30s and I was like, I'm going to play with everybody on everything, I'm not going to say no to everything. There were There were five to eight, seven years in which I had 
piles and piles and piles of notebooks. And I would literally go to a show and all the pictures of me with my head, you know, this, the, everything's over here and I'm just reading notes that I, oh. <laughs> wow, yeah. because I had no idea where they, um, you know, what, what, how the song sounded or anything. Oh, like that's that. funny. So you'd actually take right out the notes of the songs. Okay. Like, Oh, this is the first song on the set list. And then you, you'd have the actual, like, uh, no, my notes right process, now. My process is so probably so backwards compared to like I've watched. I've I have friends who can write like a twelve song set list and they can do it all on one one page. You oh, know, wow. their notes kind of thing. For me, in and this is actually how it was when I was in school. In order for me to remember something, I have to write the whole thing out. It's sort of like, if I write it down, it's going into my brain, mm-hmm. you, know, that, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of my like notebooks would be, or songs that I didn't know would be like, okay. Vocalist starts by saying, you know, quote, these words, that's when the drums come in. The drum should sound like a do-up pattern in a slow to medium tempo. <laughs> Don't forget to crash, you know, before the, it was like a narrative of the song and that's how I would remember it. And if you're, you know, you got to think if I was doing 10 artists in a week of all songs that I didn't sort of know what was, you know, what was happening in these songs, this is a lot of, of, of remembering and, mm-hmm. So, but in turn, what it ended up doing for for me, you know, it certainly didn't bring in huge sums of money, but what it did was it it prepared me to be able to handle any situation that was thrown at me on stage and be able to walk into most situations with confidence that, yeah, we'll get through it. And also it's not supposed to be perfect. You know, that's part of what playing music is. I don't, I don't we kind of live in a, uh, industry now in which perfection is what everybody that's what the bar is. If this song isn't perfect, if there's any sort of clams or any sort of like nuances in the song, like it's not, it's not worthy of people's attention And that. I don't come from that. that yeah. Me either. So, I love a little grit and a little bit I, of I mean, if, uh, imagine if imperfection. You heard, like, if you heard flawless Rolling Stone songs, like, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like robots are playing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I really do sort of play with artists who still really do appreciate the, the human imperfection and the fact that this is rock and roll and it's supposed to be, you're supposed to feel the energy and feel the, um, you know, the emotion and feel that stage presence. You're not supposed to, I, I, otherwise we just go up there and hit play on the record and, mm-hmm. and just everybody sit around and have a beer, you know? Watch, right. Right. You know? So yeah. In radio, we, th- we, uh, cause I felt the same way. Like you'd hear s- certain stations and it was so robotic and it was, everything had to be, it was perfect sounding because it was all just pre-recorded and pre-produced. And we used yeah. to call it like audio wallpaper. Like you turn a station on and you're like, you could predict what the person was going to say because it was so, you know, there was such a formula to, okay, you say this, 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 and then get out. And, you'd record it so it fit perfectly. And, and there was something cool about kind of hearing somebody screw up and you're like, uh, it's just like, Oh, that's a human being back there. Exactly. Remember <laughs> yeah. that part of it, you know, yeah. this whole AI stuff is really sort of confusing to me because it's like, yeah, I, I, I see the cool factor in it, but like, 
what it's not it's a creative for me to tell the computer what i want it what i want for the final product i mean yeah i think people are using ai now for what you know you would expect them to use it for like oh i'll never get to be on a rap song with jay-z so i might as well just mimic his voice and put it on here <laughs> right okay you're showing the power of a computer but is it creative you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. Why don't you work? Why don't you maybe work really hard and get yourself to a point where you actually could be on a song with Jay-Z instead of having like lawyers now come to you and be like, you can't use this dude's voice. Right. Like, you, you know, sure. Like, the computer made it, but yeah, you, yeah, this is yeah, now you're in trouble. So right, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I just have a couple more questions for you. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for doing this. Uh, you did have the opportunity. You played with Seth Meyers, right? You played uh, on his on his band in his band for his late night show. Yeah, that was. What was that like? That was unbelievable. So, it, I, I have this conversation a lot with with Berkeley students and stuff like that. Is like, what, how, like, how do you, how do, how do I get my career going? How do I, how, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's, what, you know, I can play this instrument now. What? And I was like, set goals for yourself because it keeps you hungry as you're kind of moving along in this career. I made a list, a goals list. I have it in my pocket. I made it when I was like 12 years old and I've literally spent my entire career going to check off boxes. Now, every time I check off a box, I add another three. So it's like my 12 year old goals versus my 42 year old goals are very, very different. But what it allowed me to do was always stay hungry and always shoot to try and achieve something, you know, in my career. And so Seth Meyers, that was like a, as soon as that show came out and I saw that they started to use drummers, you know, bringing guest drummers, I was like, I want to do that. And at that point, I was nowhere even remotely on anybody's radar to be able to be um, considered for that opportunity. And so it was my goal. I didn't put a timetable on it. There was no, you know, I have to do this by this time. I just said, I'm going to do this. I put it on my list and I went for it and took seven years. And I, out of the blue, got a call. Hey, can you do this show? And it was like, this is what I'm talking about. This is the the problem with, with, and I'm not saying this a bad way, but the problem with this generation, the younger generation, is the immediate gratification. The I do not want this to take too long before I have the opportunity. So what I try to tell these kids is, okay, that's fine. What happens if you said you want to play in front of 80,000 people? That's your goal. That's a great goal to have. How long until you want that to happen? Well, if it doesn't happen in a year, I'm going to – I'm going to quit because it's stupid. I'm not going to waste more time trying to go for this. Okay. But what happens if it happened in a year and a week, but you gave up after a year and it was going to happen the next week, you were going to get that opportunity. It's like, they don't, they, you put a timetable on something like I have to wait that long to, for this opportunity to happen. It's like, yes, but no, because what you do is you put 200 fishing poles in the water this is my Seth Meyers one over here. I'm going to put it in and I'm going to put another 190 fishing poles in the water. And as things happen, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go very focus on this one. This one's getting nibbles. I'm going to work on this one. Let this one sit. And when it starts getting nibbles and you come back over here and you work on this way, that way you're never just hoping for this one thing. It'll happen. Just let it happen when it's going to happen. 
work on this other stuff, be present for these other things, because that was the most challenging gig I've ever had in my entire life. And had all of these other things not happened, I would have, there's no way I would have been prepared to perform and, and get through those shows because it was a very, it was a very like anxious style of playing drums. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on in those shows, but I was able to step into that and be like, all right, we're going to navigate our way through this and we're going to, we're going to get through it and it's going to be great. And I'm going to experience it and it's going to be a challenge, but I needed all of this other stuff to happen. I needed, I need to be thrown into the wolves over here in order for that to be okay. Cause this was a lot of eyes watching you at the mm -hmm. time. So um, I think it's, I, so that's, so it was amazing and it was wonderful and I loved it. And I'm so happy that I did it. And it's exactly what I what I try to tell these kids is just set goals for yourself and go after them and set lots of goals and go after them. Because at the end of the day, you're the only person you need to really like have your approval is yourself, you know, and and you'll feel like so grateful when you accomplish different things. And that has a lot to do with you setting your expectations really high and, and, and challenging yourself to go after things. And at the end of the day, if you're bored or you're, you know, things aren't happening fast enough in your, in your industry or in your music career, then it's probably not the right field for you to work in because there are really no guarantees in this. And I still have endless boxes that I made when I was 12 years old that, you know, I still have not checked off. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you again. You just pretty much answered my last question, which is if you have any advice for aspiring artists, That's the one. set goals, set goals. I love that. Thank you again so much, Jonathan, for doing this. I appreciate your time today. And uh, thank you again. Thank you.